ongoing fruitful relationship between um, our church and also Pastor Todd. Um, and so also I wanted to make you aware that starting June um, the 25th, so next Sunday, uh, we're going to start doing a series called Pray the Psalms. Um, and so I'm going to have something to pass out to you guys so that you can follow along a devotional that we can all go um, walk through the Psalms together for 50 days um, so that we can be a, a church that prays together, uh, that studies the word together so that we're all learning together together. Um, um, through God's word. And so we're going to go 50 days through the Psalms. It's two or three Psalms per day, um, and it'll be a devotion for you um, each morning as well. Um, I did want to say as well, if, um, if, if you're new here, um, obviously welcome, but if you could fill out one of those connect cards, and even if you've been going here for a while and you're not sure if we have your right information, there's a connect card in front of you behind the pew. If you could uh, fill that out so that we can have the right information, I'm going to send out an email every day for the next next uh, 50 days as well um, to, to the church um, so that if you don't get the pamphlet or the devotional, then, then you can read it through your email if you don't get it that way. So um, we want to be able to have the right information. So if you could fill that out and then put it, um, you can just dr drop it off, give it to me or um, put it up here on the stage on, the, on my left or right. Um, that way we can make sure that we have all of the right contact information for you. Um, I did want to bring a couple more things to your attention um, as far as our church family goes. Um, Miss Becky uh, passed away this morning. Um, she was in Miss Margie's class. And so if y'all would lift her family up in prayer. Um, we know that she um, was a follower of Jesus, and even in her death, God is merciful that she doesn't have to suffer anymore. Um, and so we, we praise God for her life, but we know it's going to be hard for those who have been closest to her. So y'all lift, um, lift them up, lift up the family and, and prayer as well, and um, we'll, we'll give you more details on the funeral, the homegoing service. Um, and then Miss Sylvia, um, she's a member of our church. She, she came this morning, and she was having trouble. Um, getting some words out. So we actually had the ambulance come this morning um, and took her. So be in prayer for her, for her body, for her mind and the things that are going on um, with her. Just pray that the Lord would, would heal her. Um, before we go any further, um, let's do that. Let's pray for them really quick, would you? Uh, Lord, we thank you so much that we have a security in knowing you, that even in death, Lord, that we can, um, we can have a peace that this isn't the end and that uh, Miss Becky is okay, but we do pray for those who are closest to her, her family around her, that you would surround um, them and uh, be near them. Your word says, blessed are those who mourn for they will be comforted. And so I pray that you be the comforter this morning. We also pray for um, Miss Sylvia this morning that you would just lay your healing hand on her and give wisdom to the doctors. God, I also pray that you would bless the reading of your word today. Uh, the proclamation of your word that you would pierce to our hearts. In your holy and precious name, I pray. Amen and amen. Okay, so this morning we're taking a break from uh, the, the series of prayer, and we're going to talk about fathers uh, today. I know we just started one Sunday last week. It was my first Sunday. Uh, we're going to talk about fathers this morning, and then we're going to pick back up in the Lord's Prayer um, in Matthew chapter 6 and Luke chapter 11. We're going to continue with that next week. But we're going to press pause really quick so that we can talk about dads. We can celebrate dads here. Um, so I was, if you would turn in your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 5. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to go from Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through um, Ephesians 6, verse 4. So th that'll be the text that we're going to be in. Um, but I was uh, Googling, as I often do, uh, what kind of fathers there are. And this article popped up that said uh, the, there are 10 different kinds of fathers. So I thought the article was pretty funny. I wanted to read it to you. And just, um, uh, you don't have to out yourself. You don't have to raise your hand or anything if you, if you identify as one of these types of dads. Um, but we all know what kind of dad you are, even if you don't. Um, so uh, 10 different kinds of dads. Maybe you had this dad. Maybe you are that dad. Uh, first dad is the gadget-obsessed father, right? The gadget-obsessed father. He's the one who clung to his Nokia 3100 when everyone else had switched to a smartphone. Anybody know the gadget-obsessed father that loves every new kind of gadget that comes out or technology? 
There's the trendy father. He's the, the hip dad, um, has a great sense of style, and um, always has, knows the latest music and is up to date, knows the hottest bands playing in his car. Y'all know the hip kind of dad, you know, probably wears skinny jeans and no socks, um, lots, of tat- lots of tattoos, beards, those kind of things, you know. On the opposite end of the spectrum, there's the, the fashion disaster father, right? He's the exact opposite of the trendy dad. Um, he's stuck 20 years behind everybody else when it comes to a, a sense of dress. Um, the overprotective father, he's the dad that fathers the, or ferries the, the kids around, make sure that they get to the right place at the right time, everything's safe, you know, scopes out everything, make sure that their kids are safe no matter what, but they're overprotective. The master chef father, the, the father who loves to cook, everybody wants to go to that dad's house because they got the best snacks, the best kind of food. You got one? What about the intimidating father? It doesn't talk much, but his mere presence was enough to set you quaking in the knees as a child. You guys know that dad? So that was, that was my dad, or at least he tried to be. So my sister, I have two older sisters, um, and my middle sister brought a, a guy home for the first time. And I kid you not, my dad sat in his recliner with his shotgun, unloaded, all right, unloaded, polishing his shotgun, and then asked the, the, this young guy, probably about 16, 17 years old at the time, to come in and then shut the door behind him because he was going to have a talk, right? Um, the over, uh, or the intimidating father, that was my dad. What about the handyman father, the guy who wants to do it himself, um, is obsessed with YouTube DIY videos, um, the nostalgic father, the guy who always says, back in my day, anybody know that guy? The super father, this is the father that everybody loves to hate, right? He's the model dad who works hard and still finds time to help out with the household chores, cooking and taking care of the children, probably normally wears one of those straps that has the kids that's hanging in it, you know, one of those, or even the driving pro father. So this was my dad also, who always got in a fight with the GPS. Um, so I'm, I'm trying to figure my way back around Jacksonville. You know, this, I'm, I've moved back. And I'm trying to figure my way around and trying to do as, as little with the GPS as possible so I can, you know, get familiar again. And so we, we, tried, to get, um, we tried to get somewhere, and, you know, Casey, my wife, just kept on saying, just turn on the GPS. I was like, no, I got to figure it out. And we started, started a fight over it, you know, or an intense moment of fellowship, right? That's what we like to call it. Um, but no matter what kind of father that you are, uh, we celebrate you. You're a gift from God. Um, if you would, if you're not already there, Ephesians 5, 22 through 6, 4, it's going to be our text. I'm actually going to invite you today to stand in honor of reading God's word. Just stand in honor of reading God's word this morning. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 22 through 6, 4. It's going to be on the screen if you don't have a Bible. Verse 22 says, wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its savior. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit submit in everything to their husbands. Verse 25 says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or any such thing, that she might be holy and without blemish. And the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it, just as Christ does the church, because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh." This mystery is profound, and I'm saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Y'all get what Paul just said there? Marriage between man and woman is supposed to be a reflection between Christ and the church. That's pretty powerful. Verse 33 says, However, let each one of you love his wife as himself, and let the wife see that she respects her husband. Down chapter 6, verse 1, it says, Children, obey your parents and the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with the promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. 
May God bless the reading of his word. Y'all can have a seat. The main point that I want us to see today based on this text is that God has called fathers to be kingdom-minded, to reflect his glory to a dark culture. God has called, called fathers, men, to be kingdom-minded, to reflect his glory to a dark culture. So whether you are a father, um, you once were a father, your kids are grown, maybe you plan to be a father, my prayer is that this message would, would land on your heart in a specific way and to answer the call to be kingdom-minded, to reflect God's glory in this dark culture. The first thing I want you to see is that kingdom fathers, they lead like Christ. Kingdom fathers, they lead like Christ. And verse 22 through 23, from what we just said, it says, Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, even as Christ is the head of the church, his body, and is himself its Savior. So a kingdom father is someone, based on this text, someone who leads like Christ. They love like Christ, and they also disciple like Christ, and then they lean on Christ. We have to understand the context in which Paul is writing to a church in Ephesus, right? So this is a different culture, a Greco-Roman culture, where family units look far different than they do today, right? And also, Ephesus was more of a pagan culture, where it was kind of, it wasn't godless in the sense that they had tons of gods. They had different idols, different spirits that they worshipped, but that Christianity had just kind of broken onto the scene there and was expanding in there. And so, just like us today, these church people, they'd be wondering, how is my life supposed to be lived out now that I have this new faith, right? I, I believe in Jesus and the resurrection. I believe in the testimony of Paul, the disciples. That's what the, this church would say, right? Now, what am I supposed to do with that? How do I live that out? And so Paul goes through um, the book of Ephesians in chapters one through three. He talks about who we are in Jesus, uh, how we've been adopted as sons and daughters, that we've been redeemed by the blood of the lamb, that we once were um, slaves in sin, but, but God stepped in and, and by grace through faith, we've been saved, right? And then he gives this prayer in uh, chapter three, uh, verse 14, where he says, man, I just, I just pray that they would know the, the, this love that surpasses knowledge. And then chapters four to the end, it's really just practical application, how we live this kind of life out. And Paul in this text is specifically saying, okay, now, now fathers, husbands, wives, this is how y'all are to interact with each other in a way that is set apart or different from the culture around you. Okay, which, which you could say, okay, we can do what the culture tells us how men and women should respond to one, one another, or how they should act in the home, or how they should live out their roles, or we can live the way that God has called us to, right? So in this culture in Ephesus, like, fathers would build their households basically like their own kingdom, right? It was um, very much so ruled by the father. Sometimes they would be abusive. Now, it's not always, but, but scholars, they, they've researched this and they've seen that a lot of times the, the husbands were abusive and they just treated like everybody else like their subordinates, right? And there are actually some scholars noted that if, if a father didn't want anything to do with their child or if they wanted to dis disown them or anything like that, they could actually just live, leave them out in the city streets and abandon them um, and just kind of like wash their hands with them. Or they could put them to death if there was some kind of displeasure to the, the father. And the wives were, were forced to submit, right, in, in a negative way. So when Paul is writing to this church, whenever he uses this language here, what he's doing is he's saying, okay, I want you fathers, if you're a Christian, to live counterculturally to the rest of the world, right? I want the way that you live as a husband, the way that you live as a father, wives and mothers, the way that you live to be countercultural to the rest of the world, and so we could also come to the text like that and say, okay, I want to be different than the rest of the world because they don't got it right, right? We can look at the divorce rate in our culture. We can see how um, cohabitation is, is on the rise. People aren't even getting married because they don't see the value in it. They don't want some kind of paper to say who they can and cannot be with, right? But we, we are not subject to our culture, right? We don't have to be indoctrinated by our culture. What we do is we submit ourselves to the word of the Lord. And we say, okay, how do I live in a different way, which Paul says is a way that reflects Christ, right? How do I live that out for the glory of God? 
So the crazy thing is, is that we can actually come to this text and Christians can use this text as a point of abuse by taking it out of context, right? So like we can read the text and where it says, um, wives submit to your husbands, oh, shut, shut it there, right? Don't, wives don't read any further, right? Bible says you got to submit to me, woman, right? I would never say that. I don't, I don't think I'd be alive today if I tried that. Right? Or even women or wives, they can come to this text and they can say, they can read that same text and say, this is what's wrong with religion. It's oppressive to women. Right? I say, this is why I don't have anything to do with Christianity because it just oppresses, it silences women. But if you stop there, maybe you can get that. But when you read the whole thing in its text or in its fullest context, it's the most beautiful picture of a marriage relationship that we should all as Christians aspire to and actually find life in, right? So Paul is calling the church to live in a way that's countercultural to that day. And also, as we read it in the 21st century, this would actually be a way that would call us to be countercultural as well. What Paul is saying that men and women, they have equal value in the eyes of God. We all say that. Amen to that, right? Men and women created in the image of God, especially brothers and sisters who are in Christ, been bought with the blood of Jesus, we are equal. But it's also clear that we have different roles that we can play out, right? Different strengths that God has even called us to in his text. This isn't, this, this isn't, uh, uh, this isn't a negative. This is such a, a life-giving text for us to be able to live it out. It's not a negative word right here where it says, wives, submit to your husbands. It's a, it's a willful submission. It's actually um, in the passive voice in Greek, which means it's, hey, willfully submit, right? Not, not forcefully submit. And it's not even just a wives thing. If you jump back up to Ephesians 5 verse 21, this is a Christian thing. It's not just a wives and husbands thing. Look at um, Ephesians 5 verse 21. He says um, to, to the believers, submit to one another, right? Why? He says out of reverence to Christ. So our submission as Christians is to one another, where we're just actually trying to outdo one another in submission, trying to put each other's needs above our own. It's a call for everyone. That's the, that's the countercultural Christian narrative that we should want to submit our will and our desires for the sake of our brothers and sisters in Christ, right? Especially, Paul is saying, now in marriage, we need to reflect that as well, right? The point here is that headship is synonymous for Paul as leadership. So Paul uses this word headship as a place of leadership. He's calling men to be the spiritual leaders in their home, to be the first one to take the step forward in the family's faith and growth, right? It's a call for us to lead. That's what the, the illustration of headship is for someone to, to lead. And God has uniquely placed men in the home to take that step of leading. Be the first one to open God's word in your home. Be the first one in your home in front of your children to say, hey, can we take a second to pray? Be the first one to say, hey, we want to go to church today. As a family, I'm going to take us to church. We're going to be in church on Sunday. That's where our, our family is going to be. And where the head leads, the body follows I've got this illustration I wanted to, to show you as well to, to demonstrate this. Um, Ryan, can you help me out? Help me out. We're about to get real personal here, okay? All right. So stand here this way. I want you to hold your finger right here under, under my nose. All right, I told you it's going to get personal. All right, personal. Like, somebody got sanitizer ready? Okay, so hold it there. Now, hold, I'm going to try to walk forward, and you try to hold me back, okay? Mm-hmm. All right, you got me? Mm-hmm. Like, oh, sorry. I'm going to sneeze. All right, I got it, I got it, I got it. All right, thank you. Y'all give it up for Ryan. Yeah. I really, I, honestly, I was really trying to push a lot of weight, but when you walk, your body, naturally your head 
leads as you walk. Most of the time, not saying universally, but most of the time your head, your head leads. And that's the illustration that Paul is saying with headship, where the, where the head goes, the body follows, right? You ever been driving and you, you see something and just, you know, just kind of like start to steer wherever the head is going? That's the illustration that Paul is giving us here, that headship, where the head goes, the body follows. And so what, what, what Paul is calling men to do, fathers to do, husbands to do, is take the lead in the spiritual nourishment and growth of their families. See, you lead your family whether you like it or not. You don't realize it, but you accidentally just lead your family. So what Paul is saying here is, why don't you be intentional about it? Don't have your family end up somewhere spiritual that's not where close to Christ or growing in Christ because you never took the initiative to, to lead them faithfully. They see where you worship. They see what takes your priority, your family, your kids. You're leading your family either accidentally or you can lead them on purpose or intentionally. So what is leadership? What is leadership then? What's a good biblical example of leadership? Well, if you look at Matthew chapter 20, verse 25 through 28, it'll be on the screen for you. There's this, there's this scene where um, the sons of Jebedee, um, James and John, they approach G- or um, their mother approaches Jesus and says, "Can my boys have a seat next to you in your kingdom?" Right. So what they're asking is, "Hey, can my boys, James and John, can they have a seat of authority next to you?" And Jesus, well, I mean, for one thing, be like, if they really wanted to be men, why didn't they come and ask me themselves instead of sending their mama to come and ask? Right. But Jesus' response in verse 25, it says, Jesus called them and said, said, you know that the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over them, and their great ones exercise authority over them. It shall not be so among you, but whoever would be great among you, you must be your servant. Even whoever would be first among you must be your slave, even as the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many." You see what leadership looks like in the kingdom of God? It's not a matter of ruling authority or wielding authority in a way where it's making everyone submit to your position or your title. No, it's, it's a matter of service. Servant leadership where we're laying down our lives for the sake of our family. That's what Paul says. To, to, to love your family as Christ loves the church. That's what leadership looks like in the kingdom of God. How can we outdo one another, husbands and wives, in service? How can we outdo one another in service? I know Paul says, wives, submit to your husbands, but husbands, fathers, we, I'm saying this myself too, I, I want to preface, I'm not, I'm not saying any of this based on my own authority or that I'm perfect at this. I was telling somebody this morning, I had to ask for forgiveness more times than I can count in one week um, from Casey and my family just because I was impatient, I was grumpy, just, just in a mood pretty much all week. So, I mean, I fail all the time, right? So I'm not saying based, Caleb's got this right, um, but what I am saying is that God's word calls us to be servant-hearted leaders as husbands, and we men, we've got to be somebody worthy of submitting to, right? If we're gonna lead, we've gotta, we've gotta be worth following. We've gotta be a target. One of my mentors says, God, make me a target that my boys can, can follow after. That's what he says, and I, that, that's what I wanna be. I wanna be a target that my children can aim at. Say, that's the life I wanna live, and I wanna lead in that way. I wanna, be, I wanna be an example. I want us here, men, fathers, husbands, to be the example worth following. Paul says 
In verse 16 of Ephesians, the same chapter, he says, make the best use of time because the days are evil. What Paul's saying is he's saying, be intentional. Don't waste the time not leading your family, right? Be intentional about it. So first thing is kingdom fathers, they lead like Christ. The second thing I want you to see is that kingdom fathers, they love like Christ. They love like Christ. Look at Ephesians 5, 25 through 33. Verse 25 says, husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. What's the example? Christ, right? As Christ gave himself up for, for her, that he might sanctify her, having cleansed her by the washing of, with, of water with the word, so that he might present the church to himself in splendor without spot or wrinkle or, or any such thing, that she may be holy and without blemish. And the same way, husbands should love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself, for no one ever hated his own flesh, but nourishes it and cherishes it just as Christ does the church because we are members of his body. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. See, God is calling fathers to love their wives as Christ loves the church. One of the greatest things that we can do as fathers is love our wives well. That's what part of discipleship is, right? If we're, if we're wanting to lead our, our, our children, what we want to do is we want to set the example. We want to set the example of what love looks like for our families. The example is the Christ-life sacrificial love, right? The Christ-like sacrificial love willing to lay down our lives for our wives. That means putting our preferences aside and putting their preferences above our own. You guys realize, husbands, fathers, there's a very good likelihood that the person that your daughter is going to marry is going to be very much like you. Let that sink in for a minute either good or bad. That's a lot of weight, right? The way that you treat your, mother, your wife is what she's going to expect from her husband to be treated. That's pretty heavy, right? So we need to set an example of Christ-like self-sacrificing Christ -like self love. That's how Christ loved the church. It says that he gave his life up for them. But he also says, he also says, love your wife like you love your own body, right? How do we love our own bodies? Paul says we nourish it, right? We feed ourselves, we take care of ourselves, hopefully. We give ourselves every desire that we want. Think about that. How well you nourish your own body. Do you, Paul's saying, want to nourish and fill your wife like that? Do you want to treat her in that way where you're looking out for her needs before your own? Like, we are willing to even leave, some men leave their families because we didn't get what we wanted. Like, do you love your wives that passionately, right? Enough to nourish them, to take care of them, to lead them. Cherish here means to protect and care for someone lovingly. That's how we need to love our wives. We need to cherish them above anything else. Not above Christ, but any other person, right? The way that Christ loves you, the church, willing to lay down his life. It means to care for, right? To protect. I um, at one time heard this pastor say, he said, he, he said, that I always thought that I was willing to fight for my family, right? If an intruder came into our house to harm my family, he said I would love them enough to protect them. That's what that word cherish means, to protect. Right? Saying, I, and we would all say that, right? Like if somebody came into my house, like I'd be willing to fight to protect my family. But do you love your family enough to protect them from you? What I mean by that is the sinfulness that's inside of you. 
Are you that passionate about protecting your family to cling on to Jesus Christ so that you can protect them from that sin, that selfishness that arises in you? So for an example, this week we moved into a house and um, so whenever I, I preach a text, God is gracious to test me in every way, right? Like, thanks, God. Um, we moved into a new house, and we've got a lot of projects, a, little, a lot of loose ends that, that I'm trying to get together. Um, Casey's list is longer than mine um, of things that need to be done. And so, um, so there were some things that needed to be done. She, she reminded me of those things, and I just wasn't in the mood to do them, right? But this text came to my mind, right? I said, okay, are you putting her desires, her wants, and her needs above your own in that moment? That might seem weak, or it might seem whatever in our culture's eyes, but what I wanted to do in that moment, as this text came to my mind, said I wanted to love her like Christ. So I got up off the couch and did them. I didn't have anything else to do. It was just my own mood, right? So I was thankful that this passage of Scripture that I was studying through it, that, that God convicted me of that and said, are you, are you looking out for your own needs in this moment, or are you looking out for Casey's needs? A kingdom-minded father loves his family enough to lay down his life for his wife and for his children. See, women and wives, they're called to submit to men who love them like that. That's a good thing, right? That's a gracious thing. It's not an oppressive thing. It's a life-giving thing where men and women love one another and model, model for their children what kingdom fathers look like. Third thing, third thing I want you to see is that kingdom fathers, they disciple like Christ. They disciple like Christ. Jump down to Ephesians 6, 1 through 4. We read it already. We're going to read it again. It says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. We've got some kids in the room. Um, listen to what Paul says here, okay? He says, honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise. So kids, listen, when you obey your mom and dad, you're actually doing something that is obedient to God and not just your parents, right? And God says that there's a promise with that, that it will go well with you. Parents are a blessing to children, right? And they're called to lead and disciple their children. Children are not called to disciple their parents. We live in a culture where we look to our kids for answers as to what is progressive. Not in the church. In the church, what we want to do is we want to lead our children and disciple them in all truth, what does Paul say, right? He says, fathers, do not provoke your children to anger, but bring them up in the discipline and instruction of the Lord. So discipline here, again, not a negative word. Um, it's only negative when we think of it in, in a punishment type of way. But if you think about discipline in like a sports kind of way, um, it's a good thing, right? LeBron James didn't wake up. He might have had some natural talent, right, in basketball, but he didn't wake up one day and he wasn't able to, to play like he did. Steph Curry, he, wasn't, he didn't wake up one day and say, I'm going to sink every three-point shot that I ever shot, right? No, that took discipline. Do you think every shot that he took was fun? No, I think he's had some surgeries on his, on his wrist. They've had, you know, because of how many repetitive shots they had to take. The discipline part isn't the fun part, it's the fruit that comes from the discipline that's the fun part, right? When it's Steph Curry drains a record number of threes, right, everybody cheers and he's like, man, that practice, that discipline, and that moment, that was worth it. No matter how hard it was, that's, that's the picture of discipline. If you think of a musician, the hours and hours and hours that they spend pouring into their discipline, the fruit is whenever they're playing in Carnegie Hall and have thousands of people being able to listen and being able to lead people to hear something like that, right? The same is true whenever we raise up our children, right? When we discipline them, it's not fun in the moment, right? They don't know that what you're doing in them. They might fight you back. They might give you a hard time, but God has called you to disciple them. That's what dis discipline is. You're discipling them. You're training them. You're not, just, you're not just watching kids. You're raising who is going to be men and women in this culture. That's what you're doing. You're, you're discipling them. You're raising them up. So 
the, the Greek word for bring them up here is an imperative, which means it's, the, it's a command for parents, right? It is your job, a command from God, to instruct your children and disciple them in the things of the Lord. That's a command from God, to raise your children in the discipline and in the instruction of the Lord. Is that in the, the instruction of Caleb? Maybe. I might have some, some knowledge on some things that are helpful, but the primary thing that I am called to do, that you parents are called to do, is to train them in the instruction of the Lord. In the Word. The instruction of the Lord is the Word of God. So what do we have to do as parents? We've got to know the Word of God, right? To be able to know how to instruct them. And we also need to live it out. We need to model out what it is that we say that we believe. Do as I say and not as I do is not a biblical proverb, right? We are called to live a life of Christ-likeness, leading our families, leading our children, and also loving them like Christ, but also discipling them, teaching them the word of God. When we discipline or disciple our children, we, we're modeling Christ and our Heavenly Father who lovingly disciples us, right? The Great Commission, Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 and 19 says, Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, teaching them all that I have commanded. Yesterday, or last Sunday, we talked about um, the Lord's Prayer. The, the disciples saw Jesus' model what prayer looks like, and they said, Lord, teach us to pray. So there's a modeling of Christ-likeness, and then there's also a teaching when there's disciples. So we need to teach them the truths of God's, of God's word. Hebrews chapter 12, 7 through 11 says, it is for discipline that you have to endure. God is treating you as sons, for what son is there whom his father does not discipline? Do you see the question that the author of Hebrews is saying? So what son is there whom his father does not discipline. If you are left without discipline in which we all have participated, then you are illegitimate children and not sons. If you don't experience the discipline of the Lord, then the question is, is are you a child of God, right? Illegitimate sons is what he says. You're not, you're not sons of God if you don't experience the discipline. You're not, you're not called to discipline other people's kids, right? It's not my responsibility to disciple your children, but my children specifically. It says in verse 9, Besides this, we have all had earthly fathers who disciplined us, and we respect them. Shall we not much more be subject to the Father of spirits and live? For they disciplined us for a short time. Um, as it seemed best to them, but he disciplines us for our good that we may share his holiness. For the moment, all discipline seems painful rather than pleasant, but later it yields the peaceful fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it. This is a profound truth that Paul is saying. He said, when we are disciplined by the Lord, whenever we disciple our children, when we receive the discipline of the word, it yields good fruit. It yields righteousness in our lives. Same is true whenever we disciple our children. It's not fun in the moment, but what we want to do is we want to raise up a generation of children who love Jesus, who can stand firm on the word of God no matter what this culture brings them. And it's first our job, fathers, to lead in that way, to teach them the word of God. Proverbs 22, verse 6 says, Train up a child in the way that, that he should go. Even when he is old, he will not depart from it. Which means train them up. You're training human beings how to be godly people as fathers. Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9 says, And these words that I command you today shall be on your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children, and shall talk of them when you sit in your house, and when you walk by the way, and when you lie down, and when you rise. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gates. This is Moses' instruction to the nation of Israel, saying, When you lie down, when you get up, write them down everywhere, speak on them, put the word of God on your mouth everywhere you go, everything that you do, have the word of God on your mouth, right? Live it out, everything that you do. What Moses is calling the nation of Israel to do is to create a culture and a home that is worshiped to the Lord, right? 
Our homes, fathers, should be a place of worship, of hospitality to the Lord, where we're raising up our children and discipling them in the Word of God. So I'm, I'm, I'm in my doctorate right now, and my, my project is family worship, okay, where I've created this tool that's going to be on the screen for you um, for families to, to create a, a culture of family worship based on um, that, that scripture, Deuteronomy 6, 6 through 9, where we're raising our children. And I put, like, I don't know if you can see it or not, but I've, I've got it if anybody wants, I can email it to you. Um, it says, meals, melody, memorization, meditation, and mornings. That's how you create a family of worship. At mealtime, gather around the table Maybe not every meal because we all have jobs, we're realistic, but find a meal that you can all be at the table together and speak to your kids. Pray over your family. Not just thank you, Jesus, for this food, but pray for them. Have real honest prayers. Melody, sing together. Maybe if you can't sing uh, very well, the Bible says make a joyful noise to the Lord, right? That's what I do, just make a joyful noise to the Lord. Or we sing Jesus loves you every night in our household before we go to bed. Memorization, read scripture together and teach your children how to memorize God's word. Meditate on it. Fathers, be the first ones to get in the word and to meditate on God's word. And then in the mornings, start your day off, right? Every day, maybe just say a prayer on the way out as they're running to the bus or they're running to get in the car line or, or whatever it is. Maybe your kids are grown. Send them a text or a prayer every day. If you don't have contact with them um, like you used to as you're raising them, what you want to do is you, want, you just want to create a culture of worship, right? Find some kind of time in the day to capitalize on them and say, hey, listen, I want to raise you up to know God's word. We want to teach our children. You guys realize, you guys realize that this culture is not passive and in indoctrinating your children. They're not. The ruler of the air, the prince of darkness, is passionate about indoctrinating your children based on cultural values. It's not passive. And we can see it, right? We can see it happening, the indoctrination of today's youth. If only there were somebody in this world to help our kids know the difference between what is true and what is a lie. That's what parents are for. That's what fathers you are to do, is to lead them in the instruction of God's word so that they don't have to navigate this world blindly and just follow whatever cultural norm or cultural narrative is going. Say, listen, no, 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 no. No matter which way the pendulum swings, we're going to stay straight with our eyes focused on the truth of God's word. I one time, when I was a student pastor, had a parent. I was talking to them about their kids, and... Um, this, this, this mom said this, said, I don't want to force my children want to, what, I don't want to force my children to believe one way or the other, so I let them figure everything out on their own. First of all, I said, that's baloney, right? Because you teach your kid not to touch hot things, not to go unsafe places. You teach them all kinds of things. You teach them to go to school, how to work hard, how to study, Right? But you don't teach them things that have the greatest value, the most eternal value, and where their soul is going to spend an eternity, and to have the peace and the joy of salvation through faith in Jesus Christ, to know that they can live without condemnation between them and their heavenly Father. You're just going to let them figure that out? The world's not letting them just figure it out. They're telling them what to believe. Saying that is like saying, I'm going to drop off my child in the woods with no compass, no protection from predators, no map, no anything, and say, hey, little Johnny, why don't you find your way home, right? It's better for you to figure it out than me to tell you what to do. That's abuse, right? That's neglect. That's spiritual neglect for us fathers to do that as well. Just say, yeah, I'll figure it out. Somehow, some way. I don't mean that to sound harsh or condescending, but listen, we've got to be parents, dads, moms. We have to be passionate about discipling our children and the truth of God's word. It starts with us, right? 
God has ordained fathers to lead our families spiritually. I believe Satan goes after the father first because he knows that where the head leads, the body follows. I think that's why our families and our culture are in the state that they are. It's because there's some success, right? If we can distract them by ball games, business, board meetings, right? Then we've got the whole family. Y'all read the Bible with your family. Pray with your family. Worship with your family. Don't forget to play with your family, right? As serious as all this is, I heard one time say, play hard with your family and speak about Jesus a lot. Be someone who your kids can enjoy, but you're called to disciple them. Last thing, really quick, is that kingdom fathers lean on the power of Christ and not on our own strength. Before I go any further, I just want to talk to any single moms that are in the room. Um, I'm new here, so I don't know what that looks like or how many we have. Um, But I want to encourage you to know that God's grace is sufficient for you. Some of you were even raised by a single mom um, and their faithfulness to the Lord. Um, You are a product of that. Um, I just want to encourage you that God's grace is sufficient for you. He knows your needs. He knows that you're trying to fill two roles um, in the household. Um, But I want you to live a life that says, "I I don't need anything other than Jesus right, to be my strength. You don't find your identity in finding a husband or another man, um, but you are strong in your faith, right? But I also want to encourage some of our senior adults who might have a, be in a different phase in life, um, where your kids are grown and out of the house, and you're like, okay, I've I've raised them, I'm done, I've checked out. Um, I'm not saying anybody's like that here, I'm just saying. um, This letter was from a letter from Paul, the Apostle Paul, who was a single man who didn't have any children, to uh, the pastor named Timothy, who, whenever you look at his family record um, in First Timothy, the father isn't mentioned. The faithfulness is his mom and his grandma, right? But Timothy's faith reputation preceded him, and Paul said, I want to pour into this young man, right? And eventually, Timothy, who didn't have a dad in the picture, and Paul, who didn't have a son, poured into this young man who eventually became a pastor. I want to ask you if you have a Timothy. Whether if you have kids or not, do you have a Timothy? Everybody should have a Timothy. Where they find someone where they can pour into them. If we've got single moms in the room and they have young men who need to be poured into, hey, we got, we got men in the room who can pour into your kids. The life-giving word of God. But I, want, I, want, I want to challenge you with that. Your ministry's not over, depending on how old you are. There are always people to invest in. And we want to be a church that values, that values the voice of our senior adults who have gone before us, who have fallen and experienced different things and also had successes where you can teach us to avoid those kind of pitfalls, right? In life and in ministry. That's just kind of an aside. So, kingdom fathers lean on the power of Christ and we'll be done and not on our own strength. Ephesians chapter 3, verse 7 says, Of this gospel I was made a minister according to the gift of God's grace, which, grace which was given to me by the working of his power, Christ's power. This is Paul talking to the church of, Ephesians, of Ephesus. Ephesians 3, 16, he says, That according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being. Ephesians 3.20 says, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly, abundantly than all we ask or think according to the power at work within us. Three different times in just a couple of verses, Paul says, this is after Paul says who we are in Christ, Paul says, all right, there's a, there's a power within you that is going to equip you to live out this life that he has called you to do, right? He, he calls you to do. So there's a power of the Holy Spirit lives and dwells in you. The truth is, is that we cannot do this, live this out in our own strength, right? We need the power of the Holy Spirit who lives and dwells in us to live out the faithfulness that God has called us to, right? None of us are perfect as men. We can just lay that on the table, right? None of us are perfect, but what we do as fathers, we point to the one who is perfect, 
who is Jesus Christ, who lived a sinless life, died the death that we deserve on our behalf, right? So I know how badly I need Jesus. I lived this life of kind of almost like a separate life of rebellion against God, to be honest with you. I was raised in a Christian home. Some things went on in my household. Made me, I mean, I already had a rebellious spirit as it was. Just rebelled against the Lord and ran away from Christ. Um, Ran away from the church, ran away from all these kind of things. And God, by his mercy, drew me back in. And I know what life is like without leaning on the power of Jesus Christ. And I never want to live that life again. I never want to live it in my own strength because I know the worst version of me. I have lived it, right? So what I do every morning is I get up before my family, an hour before they do. I'm not saying that to say, yay, look how spiritual we are. No, because I need it. I need Jesus to get me through my day because I know that I'm weak apart from him, right? If you're a father in here who struggles through certain sins, I want to ask, do you prioritize, do you prioritize your walk with Christ? Is that the first thing that you think before you get up? I said last week, before your feet hit the floor, say, God, be, holy made, be made holy in my life, right? That's my, my first desire is that as I live, which I fail so many times, but my desire is to pursue Christ. And maybe Christ will shine through that. We lean on Christ because we need him. We walk in the goodness of Christ. We, de- we, we depend on his power and not on our own strength. If you're trying to white-knuckle raising your family, here, there's grace for you. Jesus already lived a perfect life. Just point to him. That means whenever you mess up, ask for forgiveness, right? Confess well. Tell your kids whenever you go off the handle, whenever you flip out, say, Daddy needs Jesus just as much as you do. Teach them how to, to confess sin, right? Teach them that you need Jesus in your life. When you've been absent-minded, go to your wife and say, I'm sorry I've been distracted. I've got all these things. Will you forgive me? Like, confess to your wife those things. Have you been distracted or, or condescending? Protect your family from you by saying, I need Jesus too, Right? God has called us to be kingdom-minded, to reflect his glory in a dark culture, for us to lead like Christ, for us to love like Christ, to disciple our children, and then to lean on Christ. I wanted to do something. This is going to be our invitation today. It might be a little different than normal. Um, I want to invite every man who is able to come right up here. Every man that's able to come right up here. This is, this is our invitation. If you're able, you're willing. There's no, no manipulation here. Um, man, father, future father, young man. I'm going to get down here with you because I'm not above. I'm, I'm with you guys in this, in this fight for purity, fight for leading our families. Um, I just wanted to have time. Women, um, while we pray, I'm going to ask y'all if y'all could reach out your hands and pray, pray for spiritual strength for us, okay? But I want us to pray um, together as men, as fathers, grandfathers in this church. And I just want to pray that God would just give us the strength to be who he's called us to be. Would y'all open your hands? We're all going to put, put our hands out like this as we pray.